So we're starting a brand new series called Integrity. It's a very simple title. It's a very simple series, focusing on the issue of integrity. Now, before we kind of dive into that, tell you a story about my childhood. There was a season in my life, a season of my childhood, where every single morning, myself, my older sister, who's three years older than me, my twin sister, and my dad would get up at the, around the same time, eat breakfast at around the same time, and then start packing our lunches right at the same time. And so there's four of us at all times, kind of in the kitchen, getting our lunches ready. And I distinct memory of Mrs. Baird's extra thin white bread, Carl Buttig lunch meat, which is probably the worst lunch meat out there, uh, big bag of chips, and a box of Little Debbie snack cakes. And so the, the favorite in my house for the kids were the, the brownies with the, the nuts on top, the little walnuts or whatever. My dad, my dad was a Swiss cake roll fan. And so over time, my taste kind of adjusted to be a Swiss cake roll fan as well, and I started to reject those little brownies. And so life, life happens. So as we, as, we would, as we would do that, we'd all be around there, and we're kind of scrounging to make sure that we all have what we need. And there's this, this reality that any time that you are sharing something, Anytime you're sharing something with a lot of people, competition can kind of come into play because every resource that you have, even when you're making lunches, becomes at some point a limited resource. And so one day, on one fateful day, we ran out of chips. We ran out of chips not before I made my lunch, not before my sisters made their lunches, but we ran out of chips before my dad made his lunch. And so, like... Like every father, every mother, whose children have robbed them of the simple pleasures in life, he, he did not start off his day in a joyous mood. So he packed his sandwich and a Swiss cake roll, devoid of chips, and went to work. And so we, we all go to school, we all, he, he goes to work, we get home, everything's going fine, I'm hanging out, we go through dinner. And we start transitioning to getting ready for bed. And so I'm doing my thing. And inside of my sister's room, I hear my dad call out, Whose are these chips? Now me, being the obstinate kid that I was, I kept doing what I was doing. Like it, that had nothing to do with me in my mind. And so I kept on keeping on. My dad called out again. I'm not going to ask again. Whose chips are these? So me and my twin sister and my older sister, like the obedient children we were, all patiently, calmly walked into my sister's room and saw my dad standing there holding the biggest bag of Cheetos that I've ever seen packed into one of those like little, you know, like the little like fold-over sandwich bags or whatever. I mean, it is stuffed full of Cheetos. And up against his leg is the trash can that he just pulled them from. So he asked the question, <laughs> whose chips are these? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, look, not my room, not my chips, not my problem, okay? And I start walking out. And, and, and my dad says, no, I want an answer right now. Whose chips are these? And I'm, I'm looking around, I was like, look, I, I don't know whose they are, but I have a pretty good guess because this is pretty common for my older sister to pack something, feel like she doesn't want it during the day, and then hide the evidence. 
I mean, we started off the day where my dad was upset about not having chips, and we end the day with my dad upset about not having chips. But here's the evidence. Here's the problem. And it was tried. There was an attempt made, at least, to hide the evidence. So that was, that was probably around 1995 when that occurred, probably in that range. It's 2019, and we don't know. We still don't know. Uh, there, there was no confession. There was no, no repentance, no remorse. And, and I look back on that, and, and that is like, that's like one of the most vivid memories I have of a pervasive, prevalent, or just lie that existed in my family. Because it had to have been somebody's. Like, there's no way, like, like, there's absolutely no way that a bag of chips gets packed and then thrown away in a completely separate... It doesn't happen on its own. We know, we know that somebody did it, but that lie was there. And it's so funny to look back on now, uh, because like it, like the level of denial to this day, if you, if you were to get with my family, we're at like a family dinner or something like that, and the question were to come up, whose chips were they? No one, no one would even come close to admitting it. Like, there's, like no one's going to budge. It's just stone-faced. Don't look at me. Like, nobody's going to admit it. And we'll go to our graves not admitting it. But I think all of us kind of have stories like that. I think if we look back on the scale of simple to complex, minor to major, even in our family, our upbringing, we have moments, we have stories of where somebody was lying, we just didn't know who. We have stories where maybe even on, on the major side of things, somebody was lying, and we all found out and it kind of just changed the trajectory of that relationship. It kind of changed the path of which way we're going. One of the realities that we face in life is that the issue of integrity, the issue of honesty, the issue of lying, the issue of saying what we mean is something that comes up not just in childhood but throughout all, all realms of life. And so as we, spend, as we spend these five weeks talking about the idea of integrity, one of the things we just, we, we just have to understand is, is it possible especially for teenagers, especially for adults, middle school students, high school students, and I, and I really do think it starts kind of in that middle school realm, it's possible to begin living two separate lives. The lives, the, the, the lives that are real and the lives that we kind of project so that other people think that's what's real. Now, one of the, the fun things in the age of social media that, that parents learned about and are still learning about, the fact that a lot of teenagers have fake social media accounts. They have the ones that, that they post on just so moms and dads think that they're doing the right things. And so I had a student at a former church who had this wonderful fake social media account. And you, you look at her life from the outside, you say, that, that girl, she's going places, she's got it figured out. And then she goes to rehab for drug abuse. And you realize while talking through, hey, there's this other life she's living real life. And there's actual photographic evidence on her real social media accounts of the real life she was living. It's just crazy in this day and age that we have teenagers, we have students, even adults who feel this kind of pressure to present themselves in two different ways. Real life to their real friends, fake life to those that kind of need that fakeness to get by. It's possible to live two lives, but it's certainly not wise. And so in, in this five-week series, as we go through the concept of integrity, as we cover five different passages, one of the things that we'll just hit over and over and over again is, is helping ourselves 
tie into. Before we ever push it on somebody else, helping ourselves as parents, helping ourselves as adults, as believers, buy into the fact that our call is a call to integrity. So that our values line up with the way we live our lives. Now, um, we are going to define integrity, this series, in a very, very simple way. And so you're going to hear this definition throughout the entire series. And so here, here, oh, nope. Let me get past that. Here it is. Very simple definition throughout the entire series. Very, very simple definition through the entire series. Now, the reason we're making it a simple definition is because we want it to be ingrained in, in the minds of sixth graders all the way through adults. And so the very simple definition of integrity that we're going to be rolling with this entire series is this, when what is, is what is. When what is, is what is. And we'll expand it out a little bit. When what is said, is what is done. When what is said, is what is done. It's as simple as that. What I say, what I say, I will do. What I say I'll do, I'll do. So when what is said, is what is done. When what is worked for, is what is accomplished. The effort I put in is going to translate to the accomplishment that I achieve. On our mission trip, I had to talk to some, some of our high school students. I know they were coming back in the middle of a school week. Like, I know they were. And I, and I know that the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, that they would have had to do homework for Wednesday, I know that was occupied with really good things. But I also know that it's a pretty dichotomous life to say, I'm going to serve on mission and copy people's homework as I get ready to go back to school. I think, I think we live in a society that's so achievement-driven that there's so much pressure to put on certain levels of, of, of achievement and attainment that we, we push students into positions where they compromise their integrity to accomplish hard work could actually accomplish. And what's worked for is what is accomplished. And what is believed, when what is believed is what is lived out. If I believe it in my heart, if it's a part of who I am, I want my life to reflect that. So throughout Scripture, we see this consistent emphasis on integrity, on honesty, on the avoidance of lies, all those different types of things. And so today, we'll be jumping into Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, 1 through 4. Let me get back to that real fast. Proverbs 11. Now, um, I, just as we get into Proverbs, one of the things that we're going to see is an emphasis on wisdom. And before we hit that part of the passage... I just want you to know that the entire book of Proverbs is a wisdom book. The whole point of Proverbs is to impart wisdom on those who would read it. In the ancient world and even today, there is a high priority placed on wisdom, probably not as much today as we, we should probably hope for, because wisdom is what enables right decisions. Wisdom is what enables right living. And so we're going to hit that theme of wisdom in just a little bit. But Proverbs 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. What a great word. But a just weight is his delight. So in the ancient world, trade was done sometimes with money, but a lot of times it was just simply swapping goods for other goods. And so this, this whole analogy of a false balance is actually something that would have been very prevalent in, in the ancient world in, in which this was written. And so you have these scales that are set up, the hanging balances, stuff like that, and you would have uh, people in the marketplace, merchants, who would have two sets of weights. Now, if you've been in a science class or anything in the past 
few decades, you will know that there's actual standardized weights that goes on those balances wherever you're weighing out, things like that. And honestly, that was one of the most fun, tactile things that you got to do in science is pick out those weights and realize that every, every person across the room, if it says one gram, it's one gram. If it says one kilogram, which were the heaviest weights we were ever allowed to, to mess with, if it says one kilogram, it's one kilogram. This one over here is one kilogram, this one over there. Everyone universally in the room, in the school, in the school district, in the state, all all have one weight that says one kilogram, which means one kilogram. It's universal. But here, they didn't have that scientific manufactured ability to create consistency. And so merchants would have two sets of weights. They'd have a lighter set and a heavier set. And they looked practically identical. And when they're weighing out things to buy or sell, they would use either lighter weights or the heavier weights to get an unfair advantage. So if I can buy at a lower rate and sell at a higher rate because I've manipulated the weights, then I've won. But a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. A just weight is his delight. And what, what he starts off is just highlighting an issue. Look, it is common in the world today, it's common in the world today, then and now, to seek a strategic advantage in whatever marketplace we're in, in whatever task we have, it's, it's common to seek a strategic advantage while spending our integrity to do so. Verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. And so he gives this warning to people who are full of pride. And pride says, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And it's a very practical piece of wisdom. He says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Because the prideful person who said, look at me, Look at me, and has put them up on a ped- put themselves up on a pedestal to be looked at and admired by the world. When that person falls, all the eyes that were focusing on them because of how good they were, those same eyes see the fall. And so this is this is something that plays out in society today. We see it all the time, where that celebrity, that person, like he has like a minor pitfall, and it becomes part of the news cycle for three or four days. It's like, well, why? Like, look. I have friends that have gotten DUIs. We don't, like, we don't broadcast it on the news for three or four days. Why is it that this, this celebrity does something? And we all agree, terrible thing. We don't want anybody to do that. It's unwise, it's dangerous, and stuff like that. But, but how is it newsworthy? Like, why do we have to talk about it for three or four days? It's because they've been put on a pedestal. And, and all the eyes that were focused on that individual and thought, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, are now the eyes looking at that person saying, disgrace, disgrace, disgrace. So it's a warning. I think it's a warning that we need today to make sure that we're not people who are pride to say, look, I'm okay without that pedestal. I'm okay without being looked at. Because for the humble, there is wisdom. For the humble, the person who's willing to live in a lowly and meek state, there's wisdom. And the author of Proverbs would say, look, that is the goal. Like in your life, you need wisdom because in, your, in, in wisdom, you will have right decision-making and a right future. We'll go on. Verse 3. Now, we are doing a memory verse for this series. We're going to challenge teenagers, and I would even encourage you in this room to, to memorize this passage. Proverbs 11.3 is our our scripture memory challenge for this series. The integrity of the upright guides them. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So you've got two halves to this verse. You have the first half talking about integrity, the second half talking about crookedness. And this first half is kind of this this ideal of saying when, when somebody approaches a path and it splits off, 
There's going to be one option to be honest, and there's going to be one option to be dishonest. Now, both of these paths are going to have a little bit of different um, barriers, craziness associated with going down them. But anytime you face a decision, anytime you face an opportunity to choose truth or choose a lie, integrity is what guides upright people. And so when, when, when encountering a path, and it splits off in two, two ways, the upright person says, okay, which path would integrity take? Which path? And the upright person chooses the path that integrity would walk down. It goes on, though, the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. One of the issues in integrity that we face today is the immediacy of payoff. Like We want results, and we want them now. And so the high school student the high school student who says, hey, look, I've got, I've got homework due tomorrow. I don't have time. I just don't have time to complete the work. I do have time to copy answers. They want an immediate result for something that only long-term effort would actually lead a, for a payoff. They want immediate satisfaction for what honestly should have been worked for over time. The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. It may not happen immediately. One of the realities in life, and one of the hard things to help teenagers understand, is that you can have immediate results that are positive, but down the road, it's not going to be positive. Like, the cost is going to be much greater. And I, I think we get this. Like, even in our own lives, we've seen those little white lies turn into something that's like, man, I, I never wanted to get here. The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. There's two paths. You can walk down the path of integrity, and it leads to a certain end. You can walk down the path of crookedness, and it leads to a completely different end, but you may not see it until you've walked down that path for quite some time. Verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. It's possible to gain. I mean, one of the, like, Don't ever tell anyone you can't gain by being a liar. You can. You can make lots and lots of money, you can get really good grades. You can get scholarships. You can get jobs. You can even get into relationships by lying. It is possible to have lots and lots of awesome stuff right now by compromising your integrity. It doesn't stop there, though. See, ultimately, it goes on to a day where God actually looks at our souls and judges. And so the riches that you acquire by compromising your integrity... Even looking back at verse 1, those false scales, those riches that you've earned by robbing people and robbing people, and there's no profit. Not in the end. There may be right now, but there's not in the end. Righteousness delivers from death. It's a promise. And so here's, here's where I, I just kind of want to go as we, as we wrap up today's discussion. Uh, we have the definition of integrity when what is is what is, what is said is what is done, what is worked for is what is accomplished, and what is believed is what is lived out. We have to ask the question, if, if we're trying to understand this personal challenge, this personal call to integrity, we have to ask the question, why is it that I would walk away from integrity? And if we walk through these four verses, I think four things are really pointed out pretty clearly in, in why we would compromise our integrity. The first thing is this, is we have something to gain. When we're faced with the opportunity to compromise our integrity, most often, when we choose to lie, when we choose dishonesty, when we choose deceit, it's because right in front of us, we see what we have to gain. It's no mystery to us. Most people don't lie 
because of ambiguity. Most people don't lie because they don't know what the result of lying will be. They have a very clear picture of what it looks like if they choose to compromise their integrity. And when we say that, we say, you know what? It's worth it. Like, I can spend a little bit of my integrity and gain so much more. And there's this idea that we will have a disproportionate return on investment. If we, if we remove this part of us, our integrity, if we cheat on a test, if we skew the truth in a conversation, if we, if we lie just a little bit to make a deal happen, whatever it is, we feel like that payoff is worth that personal cost of our integrity. We always think we have something to gain. Next, we think we're better than. We feel like we deserve more than we've earned. You see, like, we, we live in a democracy. People are elected and things like that. And so we don't have this. I mean, you can argue different ways, and I don't want to get into the debate about an inherent elite within our society or anything like that. But if you look at other societies, there are political offices that just by their nature, like they walk into a room and they can have anything they want. Anything. Because they're the king. They're the emperor. Or whatever. Or even in certain subcultures of our society today, like different celebrities. This is one of the funniest things that happens. Is you have a celebrity that goes to a restaurant. A celebrity who makes millions upon millions of dollars a year. And they go to a restaurant and guess what? It's comped. Like, what? Like, like, I get helping the person out who doesn't have. Do you know how much this person makes? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when they come up here and they rack a $400 bill up or even more on, on just one meal for themselves, just the manager comes up and says, hey, don't worry, it's on the house. Like, what? What in the world? And so it reinforces this idea that this person is owed something. Now, here's the reality. We, we've programmed ourselves to believe that hard work is a bad thing. And so in, in this generation of teenagers, there's this increased sense of entitlement. And so, so here's what happens. Here's what happens. When, when teenagers are growing up feeling like they're owed something, they're owed money, they're owed status, they're owed approval, whatever it is, these students are going to walk around compromising their integrity when they don't receive what they feel like they're owed. Because they're better than hard work. They don't have to. And so one of the challenges parents is in, in a world where there's so much at our disposal that we could give our kids, one of the challenges that we have is to help our students grow up living lives of integrity, saying, you know what, the person who gets the A earns the A. That's it. I mean, like, like it's not a complicated formula. You study hard. You work, ho- work hard. You do your work. You turn in your work. The teacher grades it. And whatever you get right is right, and whatever you get wrong is wrong, and we just let it lie where it lies. And if you earned an A, you get an A. That's it. But if you earned a D, guess what you get? A D. Because that's what you earned. But the hard part is, is that we have students that are growing up in an age of entitlement, in an age of being owed more than what they've actually earned. And so they compromise. And I think... I think some of us at different times in our life, when we've achieved certain statuses, certain status in business, certain status in academics, certain status in whatever, we walk into a room and we just inherently feel like we're owed a little bit more. We think we're better than, so we compromise. Next, we don't know the risks. We We don't realize that we will pay for what we've earned falsely. We don't realize that down the road there will be 
a return on investment, but when we've compromised our integrity, what we have to pay off is disproportionate to what we actually compromised. Like as time goes on, as we've lied, as we've moved down that path of, of loss of integrity, as we've moved down that path of dishonesty, we don't realize that when we get down and, and it's time to pay up for what we've gained, that, that comes at a huge cost. The other part is, I think we grow up thinking that we can reclaim our integrity quickly and easily. But what I kind of want you to picture is this. I think integrity grows. I think it's kind of an organic thing within relationships. And so the longer you're in a healthy relationship with something, the, the, the more that, or, that integrity tree kind of grows. And so if you have a tree that's growing in a healthy environment, it's going to grow, it's going to have branches and stuff like that. But I just want you to think with me right now, if integrity was a tree, and we want to compromise our integrity, meaning we'll chop off some of those limbs for whatever te- temporary gain, you don't wake up the next morning and go outside and those limbs have grown back. No, you walk outside and, and you look at that tree and you say, man, those limbs are still gone. And then the next day, it goes. Even if it's getting rain and sunshine and all that good stuff and you're pulling up weeds around it and you're making sure it's mulched and all that stuff, you're going to walk outside the next day. And guess what? The limbs are still gone. And you're going to repeat that day after day after day after day. And eventually, over the course of years, some of those branches might return. They might. Integrity might be restored within that relationship. But it takes time, and it takes a healthy environment for that to occur. When we compromise our integrity, we oftentimes don't realize that it will be a long, arduous process to restore that trust in those relationships. And I think a lot of us have been a part of those types of relationships where trust has been broken, and the person who broke that trust has apologized and just wants it to go back to the way it used to be. Yeah, so do I. So do all of us. But, but a lot of times when trust is broken, it takes, it takes years. And so as we're helping our our teenagers, our students, even my kids in preschool, we've got to help them understand the risks that are associated with compromising integrity. And some of that is that slow buildup of a return to healthy relationship. And then finally, we don't prioritize what's best. We don't prioritize what's best. When we we compromise our integrity, we look at the short-term gain and we hope that, and we feel like it's more important than what's of ultimate value. Now, in verse 4, it wraps up by talking about how riches do not profit in the day of wrath, meaning you can compromise your integrity, but you're going to lose right standing with God. You can gain earthly riches, but you're going to walk away from the God who created you. And one of the things that we, we have to know, we have to internalize, is that we, as Christ followers, should put exponentially, infinitely more value on right standing with God than anything that this world has to offer. And I'm afraid as I see the pressures put on this generation of students, I'm afraid that we're tempted as families, as individual students, as parents, as coaches, as teachers, whatever it is, I'm afraid that we push students towards living a dichotomous life where integrity is a, play, is, is a, is a word that shows up in church, but not in school. Where integrity is a word that shows up in church, but not even in our dating relationships. Integrity is a word that shows up in church, but honestly, it doesn't even have to be in our workplaces.
We've got to give our kids a view of what's best. And what's best may be going to ACC because you didn't get the full ride because your grades weren't there. That's okay. It's, it's okay not to be valedictorian if you maintain your integrity. It's, it's okay to have to work extra hours at your, at your place of employment because you forgot to request time off. Not, not that your manager you know, didn't listen to your request, but let's just own up to it. You forgot. And it's okay. You go down the list of every scenario that you've run into with your kid, and you know there's a temptation to compromise integrity for the short-term gain, but there's so much at stake, and what's best is so much better. So here's one simple, simple challenge for all of us this week. And I want you to do it as parents first before we ask your students to do it. I want you to pick one area of your life that this week you know, you know for a fact, you're going to be tempted to compromise your integrity. And the challenge is this. When, when you walk up on that path and you have the opportunity to choose integrity or choose dishonesty, when you have the opportunity to choose short-term gain versus what's best, I want to challenge you to choose right now, before you face that decision. Choose what's best. Let what is be what is. And so if you've said something, do it. If you believe it, live it out. And if you've worked for it, let that be what you accomplish. Nothing more and nothing less. Let me pray for us. Father, you are a good, gracious God who forgives us even in our shortcomings and our failings. Thank you for drawing us back to you. I, I, I pray that with humility you will allow us to hear from you continually throughout this week as we are called towards following you with hearts of integrity. For what is, is what is. Father, forgive me for where I skew the truth for where I present myself in a better light than is actually real. For, forgive me for coming up with reasons why not when I've already committed to something. Forgive me, Father, for, for opportunities that I take to advance myself rather than others where my integrity has been compromised for short-term gain. Father, we, we ask that you would be in our families as we have some tough conversations. And we even admit some of our own shortcomings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.